request is, is normal at the end of the service, like we do each Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, but tonight we're going to get in a study, as you can see up there on the screen. It deals with the covenants out of the Word of God, and I want us to look at several passages to begin with. We're going to look in First Corinthians chapter number nine. First Corinthians chapter number nine, and then we'll look in Ephesians, and they're all running together. All these passages are close together, not too far away. So look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 17. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 17. Before we do anything else, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Lord, I want to thank you for this time to be in your house this Wednesday. And Lord, I thank you for the blessing of another opportunity to study your word and to sing praises to your name, the fellowship together. And Lord, as we just sung a moment ago, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Lord, I can't even begin to fathom, I can't begin to comprehend what you have in store for each of us. You said in your word that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither at the end of the heart of man the things that God had prepared for them that love him. But Father, I'm thankful that I've got that mansion there because of what Jesus has done for me. And Father, I pray, Lord, tonight that we'd all just uh, be excited about that and excited about Bible study and getting a meal from the word of God tonight. May you bless it, Lord. May you give me the wisdom I need to be able to say what I need to say and share it in a way that makes sense. Father, that we can feast tonight at your table at the word of God. Lord, I pray for our ministries underway, our children's classes. Lord, bless them and their teachers that are working with them and helpers that are there. And Father, we just look forward to Sunday, a great day in your house again. And Lord, uh, the upcoming events, whether it's gospel sings or Lord, vacation Bible school, whatever it may be, God, we want it all to bring glory and honor and praise to your holy name. So now uh, let the Holy Spirit come and be our teacher and our instructor tonight. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17. Paul says to the church at Corinth here, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, of, for, of necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For I, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And he goes on in verse 18 again to talk about the reward of the ministry that is there. And so he said, if I preach the gospel, he said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And I can amen that uh, sentiment tonight. And then he says in verse 17, he said that there is a dispensation of the grace of the gospel which is committed unto me. Now, if you would look in Ephesians chapter number 1. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Keep going to you hit the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, then Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 10. Verse number 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, if you would look in chapter 3 of this same book, chapter 3 of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse number 2, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word. Both times in Ephesians, he speaks about the dispensation that is given him and the dispensation of grace, the dispensation, the grace of God. I want you to look in the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. Uh, so you're not too far away. Keep going a, a little bit to the right. You'll get to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. This is the last one for now. 
Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 25. Whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. All four of those references in 1 Corinthians 9, 17, Ephesians chapter 1, 10, Ephesians 3, 2, then in Colossians chapter 1, 25, Paul uses the word dispensation. Dispensation. And he speaks about the dispensation of the grace of God or the dispensation of the gospel or the dispensation of God. And he uses this word dispensation. Now, I don't know how much you've studied these things or not. I have no idea tonight. I would say the average, average Christian probably doesn't study much about it at all. And there's some that they kind of use, uh, you know, they'll take their time to study some of the extreme forms of things that are believed in the church, right or wrong anyway. And uh, one of them is called uh, dispensationalism. One of them is called hyper-dispensationalism. And you hear a lot of these terms like hyper-dispensationalism. And if you've ever heard that term, and if you haven't, then don't worry about it. Uh, you're better off. But if you've heard it, then people get a little irritated. And they say, well, uh, everybody's trying to break up the Bible in little bits and pieces. And they break it up to such an extent that they overcomplicate things. And they make this weird system of belief out of a word that is actually a biblical word. And that's the word dispensation. So I'm not going to go into some of that tonight by any means, but it's important that we understand this word dispensation. And even though there might be some out there that take a word to the extreme and they build a whole system of beliefs about it, the idea behind the word dispensation, let's all be on the same page tonight, we need to understand is a biblical word. It's not a preacher word. It's a biblical word. It ain't a Ben Pierce word. It's a biblical word. It's not a Baptist word. I mean, we use it as Baptist, but it is a Bible word. It's a biblical term in the New Testament, the word dispensation. So if you ever hear it, don't be afraid of it. You always need to check everything with Scripture, and that's what we're taught to do. But even in this passage, uh, we read over in Timothy, Paul says, study. We all know this passage tonight. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, that's the only passage in the New Testament, really in all the Bible, that commands us to study the word of God. It's interesting, the new translations have got rid of that word study there, and they'll say something like be diligent or do your best or try your hardest or something like that. But my Bible, the King James Bible, still retains the word study. Study takes effort. Study takes work. That's why he says a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But then he says as we study to not be ashamed. If it, it's as simple as this. If you don't study the Bible, God's ashamed of us tonight. If we study it, he's not as ashamed of us. So we study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed. But notice the next part, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you take that phrase rightly dividing and dispensations, they fit together like a hand in a glove. Rightly dividing, the Bible says as we study the Bible, we're going to see right divisions. Rightly dividing, right divisions. There's wrong divisions, there's right divisions, but there are divisions to be made. I like what one man put it this way. He said we're not to add to the Bible. We can all amen that. 
That's commanded in Scripture. Add thou not unto his words, lest I uh, reprove thee, thou be found a liar. We find it in the book of Deuteronomy. We find that in the book of Proverbs. We find that in the book of Revelation. Three times in the Bible, that specific warning to not add or take away from the Word of God. And Deuteronomy happens to be at the beginning of the Bible. The first five books, Proverbs is almost dead smack in the middle of the Bible. And Revelation's obviously at the end, at the beginning, middle, and end. God says, don't add and don't subtract from my word. So we're not to add to it like the preacher said. He said, we're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it, but we are to divide it. We are to multiply it and we're to divide it. That's God's mathematics. We're not to add to his word. We're not to subtract from it, but we divide it and we multiply it. How do we multiply it? By distributing the gospel, by giving the gospel out, by telling people about Jesus Christ, by preaching the word of God, by teaching the word of God, sharing the gospel. That is, the Bible says, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of them that published it in the book of Psalms. We are to publish the word of God. We are to, to send out the word of God. And so we're to multiply it. And we are to divide it, but we're not to add to it or take away from it. And so with dispensations and with covenants, there are right divisions to be found in the Bible. And if I'm making this complicated, it will make sense if you give me just a few minutes, I promise you. Or I'm, I can't promise you, but I'm going to do my very best to make it make sense for you tonight. Because it's not a complicated thing. It's a very simple thing. And it's simply this, that God has right divisions, right dispensations, right covenants that have taken place throughout history that helps us to understand the Word of God. I don't want to use the term unlock it because we have too often have told people that the Word of God is apocalyptic and hidden and concealed and you know, you've got to know some kind of codes to understand and you've got to know Hebrew and Greek to make sense of it as if it doesn't make any sense to us in English and we're being robbed because we don't have a gift and a, an ability and a talent that other people have and language skills and things like that. And so we, we've taken the Bible and we've tried to shut it up like it's a locked book that only preachers might be able to know and scholars know and theologians know and in fact the opposite is probably true the more people know and become headstrong with head knowledge the less God reveals to them about his word it's not a locked up book that's what Jesus said over and over again he said one of his prayers he said I thank thee father that thou has hidden these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes God does a lot of things opposite than we do they're called paradoxes You've got to give in order to get. You've got to lose your life in order to find it. You've got to humble yourself in order to be exalted. There's a lot of these paradoxes in the New Testament. One of these paradoxes is when it comes to wisdom and knowledge and understanding, the more you think you know and the more arrogant you think that you, about yourself, the less God begins to reveal His Word to you. And the more you submit to the Holy Spirit and submit to the Word of God, then the more He teaches you from it. And so a lot of these professors and scholars, they think they've got a, a lock on the Bible that you and I don't have, and yet you probably know more than they know, and you certainly believe more than they believe. That's Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glories above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hath thou ordained strength because of thine enemy, that thou mightest steal the enemy the avenger. He says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. He said, it's through them, it's through 
Those that are humble, they learn things from the Word of God. So I don't want to say it's locked. I don't want to say it's hidden, but I will say this. The more you understand about the covenants of God and the more you understand about the dispensations and the right divisions in Scripture, the more the Bible awakens and comes alive to you. Now bear with me. Some of y'all are going to get a little irritated right here, but you're just going to have to get a little irritated. One of the, the, the issues I have with uh, a lot of the Bible reading plans, and if you're on it, I'm not kicking you forward or anything like that. Keep doing it. So don't leave and say, Brother Ben said, I'm on a Bible reading plan, so uh, you know I, I'm, I'm lost or something. No, I, just hear me out. The Bible is written in a way that it begins at the beginning and it ends at the end, like any other book. And the more we get in the Bible and begin to read, the more we learn about God and the nature of God, the character of God, and the attributes of God. You get through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you've learned a whole lot about who God is and what God does and how He moves and how He works and His ways and, and, and all these things. And you begin to, to, to see a lot of these patterns and you get to see the covenants of God. As you read and you get to further on, you get into those, uh, those poetic books and the prophetic books and you get in the minor prophets and things. And by then, while you've got an understanding of the nature of God that you don't have by just jumping around and skipping everywhere. Does that make sense tonight? What happens too often is we get, and I've been in them before, but we get in a reading plan and it has us in Colossians 1 uh, now and it has us in you know, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and then it has us over in Psalms chapter 15 and then Genesis chapter 2 and then the next day it's a whole nother set and the next day there's nothing really wrong with that. I'm not up here saying that's wrong. What I'm up here saying, though, is we're robbing ourselves of learning of what I'm trying to tell you in these lessons. I hope to tell you and, and help to, to show us tonight is that if we start at the beginning and we work our way through, we see a God of order. We see a God of patterns. We see a God that is not of confusion. We see a God that had a plan from the beginning and he's working throughout history. He's working with mankind over and over again. He's doing things here that he didn't do there. He's doing things here that he won't do up there. And he's dealing with man differently over periods of time that bring about these divisions. That's all going to make sense when we're through. In fact, I believe the rightly dividing of the Word of God is the only way to really understand the Bible. We've got to learn. To, and have you ever heard someone say, uh, you know, don't take Scripture out of context? Context is the idea of if I just did like this, and I've known people done this before, and I turn right here and I read a verse, and this, word, this verse says this. Make sure I can read it tonight without anybody blushing. And thou, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach. Even say thou, The sword, the sword is drawn, for the slaughter it is furbished to consume because of the glittering. And people will do that and they'll go, Oh my goodness, God must get ready. He's getting ready to send a sword to me. I just put my finger there and the Holy Spirit told me to put my finger right there. I'm not saying God can't ever do that, but I'm saying there's a danger in that because what I just read has nothing to do with me directly. I've got to find the context of what God's saying in that passage. 
Who is he writing to in Ezekiel in this chapter? I've got to read some verses before it, some verses after it. I've got to read the whole chapter. I've got to find where the, the, the idea of what's going on. Who is he writing to? What is he writing about? All these different clues that help paint the picture so that I don't get lost in a bunch of false doctrines. What people are doing today, every false belief system has been because somebody took Scripture out of its context that wasn't about what they think it's about and they applied it to something else and built a system around it. We talked about our study of Revelation. Revelation's a great example of that. We all remember the story of the 144,000. Well, you've got Jehovah's Witnesses built an entire belief system about wanting to be one of the 144,000. So they took a passage, robbed it out of Revelation, built their whole philosophy around it. There's only going to be 144,000 really saved. Their view of salvation because they don't believe in salvation the way we believe it, but they, they said there's only going to be 144,000 when it's all said and done. And so they worked themselves to death, going knocking on doors on Saturday and, and, and going to the kingdom hall and reading all their uh, watchtower publications and everything else in hopes that they might be one of the 144,000 when it's all said and done. And the 144,000 doesn't have a thing to do with a bunch of people in America going around knocking on your doors, handing you watchtower publications. They take it out of context. Well, that's why we've got to learn to rightly divide the Word of God. Here's something. So Y'all are looking at me really odd tonight. I hope I'm not losing you. Let, let's make it real simple. Before I go any further, I want to make it real simple. If you got a Bible, I want you to go to the book of Malachi. I'll give you a second. I want you to find the last chapter of Malachi, okay? Malachi, I'll give you a clue. It's the last book of the Old Testament. That's your cheat for tonight. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Find the book of Malachi. Or as one man called it, bless his heart, he calls it Malachi. Find the book of Malachi. When you found the last chapter, chapter 4 of Malachi, say amen. All right. Now I want you, with that, you can make a mark, put your hand there, whatever you got to do, and then I want you with the other hand to find the first chapter of Matthew. If you've got Malachi and Matthew, you're probably going to have a couple little pages in between if you have a study Bible or something, maybe not. I've got a few in between, it's just little notes and things like that. But if you've got the last chapter of Malachi and the first chapter of Matthew, say amen. Are they the same? There's something that changes. In fact, you might have a page kind of looks like this before you get to Matthew that says the New Testament. If you have something that says New Testament, say amen. All right. New Testament. Testament is a covenant. It's new. It's not the same. There is an old one that ends with Malachi and began with Genesis 1 verse 1 but then you've got a new one. There is a, that's why there's a couple of pages there. That's why there's a page that says New Testament. There is a clear division in probably every single one of your Bibles tonight. I know every Bible tonight that's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Now, aren't both sections still the Bible? In fact, that's what Bible means. It means book singular, but it's made up of 66 books. But you've got an Old Testament and a New Testament. 
And it's still one Bible, but there's a division between the two. And that division is something changed between Malachi and Matthew. We all know exactly what happens the birth of Jesus, but do you know there's about 400 years that they call it the silent years between Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 1? And the reason why is because there was no new prophecies, there was no new revelations, there was no new scriptures. In fact, the last of the real prophets uh, are gone until John the Baptist shows up and then Jesus says the law and the prophets are till John. He said, John's the last of those Old Testament type of prophets. And so we've got a prophetic record, like in the book of, uh, of Revelation, for example. But we don't have any more prophets like you had in Elijah and Elisha and Nathan like you did in the Old, Old Testament times. Now we've got a New Testament, a new teaching, a new covenant. And it's still all the Bible, but there is a clear division between the two. Now, that's going to make a little more sense as we progress through this, but that's a, just a simple example. If you think this is some kind of a newfound teaching, I promise you it's not. It's founded in Scripture, A. It's been taught since the, the beginning of the early church, B. But it's, it's simply understanding the covenants of God and the dispensations that God's dealing with with the world. Now, let, let me try to break it down a little more simple too tonight. We've got to learn to separate the scripture as to time and eternity and God's dealing with mankind. Time had a beginning, time has an end. There was an eternity before, there's going to be eternity after. Now, God's still God before time. He's still God during time. He's going to be God when time ceases, right? He's still God. But in time, God has been dealing with mankind similarly and differently. Some refer to the beginning of time, before time, as the Alpha Ages. Like we talked about that first letter in the Greek alphabet, the A, the Alpha. Those are the beginning of ages, the Alpha Ages. And so you have the Alpha Ages or the Creative Ages... And then you've got the Omega Ages. That's like the Z, the end of all of those ages. And so that's the end of time. That's a beginning of something totally different that honestly our mind cannot fathom what eternity is going to be like. Can you fathom eternity? I can't. None of us can. But under these ages... There's three primary ages. There's what's called the antediluvian age. The antediluvian age. Y'all didn't know you are going to learn a bunch of big words tonight, did you? But uh, trust me, I had to look them up too. Antediluvian is a deluge. A deluge is a giant flood. How many believes in Noah's flood? Say amen. I, believe, I, I don't believe it was localized. Like history says, History Channel says, and National Geo said, oh, it was just a little folklore that was handed down because in this little area, not too far from uh, the land of Turkey, there was a story about a flood that came, and it came up pretty high enough, to, you know, to to drown a bunch of people and some animals. But it was all isolated. No, the Bible says that it covered the entire earth. It covered the tops of the mountains. That means Everest as high as Everest is, was under the waters of the flood. So you had the antediluvian age. That was the fall of Adam to the flood of Noah. 
And so that might be a term that, that's just a descriptive term, but it means there was a time where God was dealing with man in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and then Adam sinned, and so God started dealing with Adam during this other age, this other time that was unlike the garden of Eden. They weren't living uh, hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, there was no time at that point like we think of it now. Adam was a supernatural being until he fell. He had the image of God, but when he fell, all of a sudden now there's a curse on him, and now he gets hungry, now he has to sleep, now he gets tired, now he's got to work by the sweat of his brow, and now he's going to die. Before that, that none of that was the case. So Adam falls. Mankind continued up to the flood. Then there's an event that happens from the flood. From the flood, that's called the present age. We're in that present age right now. Uh, we're not in that antediluvian age. That was before the flood, from Adam to the flood. We're now in the present age that went from the flood of Noah. He walks off the ark, and that will continue to exist under the second coming of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus comes back again, then it's going to begin the ages of ages. It'll begin a time unlike any time in the history of the world, unlike any time but, uh, during the, the days of, the, of, the, uh, of Noah or during the days of Adam or anything else. It'll be an age unlike any age this world has ever known. So those are the three simplest ways of understanding these dispensations. The last age, by the way, is a dual age. And it extends from the second coming, the millennial kingdom, to a perfect age. That's the omega ages where eternity begins and eternity is not going to have any end. Anybody want any Tylenol yet? How do we understand eternity is never going to end? We are such creatures bound by time that we can't understand an eternal God. Well, I'm not going to get into creationism tonight, but I will say this, something has to be eternal. Either energy's eternal or God's eternal. But something's eternal. So the evolutionists, they believe, they believe in eternity. They believe that, that energy has just been eternal, and they believe that it's been from the very beginning that there was all this energy that came and formed and all this swirling mass, and it just exploded. And this, you've all heard of the Big Bang, and we're all the result, and all the planets and stars, galaxies, nebulae, everything's a result of the Big Bang. Here's my question. Where did all those elements come from that caused the Big Bang? Where did space come from? Before there was any stars or, or before there was any planets, you can't comprehend that. Something's eternal. Well, I know what's eternal. God's eternal. There was eternity past. There's going to be an eternity in the future. Now, that word age, and age, when I'm saying age, I'm talking about there's a difference between really an age and, and a dispensation, but an age in Scripture is usually found around a, a cataclysmic event. Those are the right divisions that begin to make sense. It's almost like a timeline that you can follow. And so you see man's here in the garden, and then there's a cataclysmic event that happens not long after man falls, and it's the flood. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a cataclysmic event. It, it changes, uh, it affects the entire globe. Uh, the Tower of Babel, that's one of those uh, times and ages that the whole world was in unity, but it was a false unity. They were united, but they were united against God. Sounds like the world we're living in tonight. 
and they're united against God. And they said, let's build a tower. We'll go up into heaven and we'll, we'll uh, do what we want to do. And God brought them down and confounded their language. And, uh, and they all of a sudden, one family and another family, I mean hundreds of thousands of people all uh, trying to figure out how to communicate back and forth. I've always been suspicious that there's certain words that are common in every language that may have been God's grace to help families communicate to another. You know, mama is just about mama in any language. Isn't that strange? Papa or some form of that's about the same in any language. There's things like that that God allowed to happen, but it was a cataclysmic event that changed the world. Let me give you an example of this tonight. Just before the flood, the life expectancy of people was in the hundreds of years. They lived over 900 years before the flood. 900 years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living to be 900 plus years? I mean, we find things old in America that's 100 years old and it's an antique. Or we find something 150 years old and get excited about it. You go over to Europe and they dig up something there that's a couple of thousand years old and they still don't get excited about it. America is a baby compared to the nation of the world. But compared, can you imagine people were living longer than nations have existed? People were living 700, 800, 900 years of age. That was at a time unlike any other time because what happened after the flood, Genesis 6 verse 3, God shrinks the number of years down to an, to an average, we'll say, of 120 years. So in Genesis 6, 3, God goes from letting people live to be almost a 1,000 years old to now they can only live upwards of about 120 years. Some lived a little longer than that, but most didn't make it to that long. And by the time Psalms 90, verse 10 comes around, God once again shortens the lifespan of humanity, and he says in that passage, Psalms 90, verse 10, he says that a man's years will be three score and ten, that's 70 and he said, if by reason of strength, he said, they'll live to be 80. Now, that means tonight, that's not a hard, fast rule. We all know there's people that live beyond 80, people that live beyond 100. But it's not extremely common. And I would say this, if you're here tonight, you're beyond 70 or 80 years old. I don't think I have to tell you that, but that's the grace of God. God's gracious, merciful. And so some people don't make it to their first birthday. Some people might make it beyond 100. But God went from 1,000 years almost of man to now uh, less than about 70, 80 years. Do you realize he knocked off 90% of the lifespan of early man? 90%. 700, 800 plus years to now 70 years. It was a different time now. That would be an age. That's like a dispensation. It was a different time. Do you know in Zechariah chapter 14, look there if you would tonight, I'll show you that in the millennial age, these things are going to be reversed. And it's going to go back to the times it was, like it was in a more perfect state, but like it was before the flood. Look in um, Zechariah chapter number 14. Zechariah chapter 14 in verse number 4. And that's the wrong reference. So how did I do that? 
Well, I'll go ahead and give you those anyway because it deals with the coming of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about that. But look in Zechariah 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So this event's going to trigger what I was trying to bring out. Uh, that's, this is the second coming. That's when Jesus sets foot down on the Mount of Olives in verse number 10. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Giba to, uh, uh, to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate and the place of the first gate under uh, the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel under the king's wine presses. All this chapter is dealing with the coming of Jesus Christ. But let's try Isaiah 65. Maybe that's the one I was after. This still brings up the, the coming of Jesus Christ, which is going to be another age. It's another dispensation. But it's going to be a time when he comes back to rule and reign. It's not like the time we're living now. It's going to be different than the time we're living now. But he's going to come at that time and change things. Here we are, Isaiah 65, verse 20. We're talking about people at that time after the second coming living long lifespans. And it says in verse 20 of Isaiah 65, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. As just one of the references that talk about the life expectancy is going to be reversed again during the millennial age. We're not in it yet. Right now, our years are 70 to 80 if God's been merciful and good and allowed us to live that long. But during this time, a child will still be a child at 100 years old, just like it was in the days before the flood. So the point that I'm trying to make to you tonight is God's the same God before, present, and after. But God has dealt with us, dealt with humanity and mankind differently at different times. And he's still going to be dealing with people differently in the future than he's dealing with us in the present. So an age really is a period between two great physical changes, like a cataclysmic type of a change. A dispensation, like we read in 1 Corinthians 9, 17 and Ephesians 1 and 3. A dispensation, some have defined it like this, it's a moral or probationary period in history. And it always, at least almost always, lines up with the covenants of God. So an age is similar, but a dispensation is going to line itself up more with the covenants of God than anything else. I talked about the Old versus the New Testament, but let me give you another little deeper example than that. We all hear those two, I started to say little terms, but they're actually big terms. They're just small words. But law and grace. We hear it all the time. Law versus grace. Law versus grace. They're big terms. Little words, but big terms. Law and grace both came from God. God used both, and yet God deals with us differently today under grace. And grace has always existed, but we're under a special amount of grace in this age than he did in the Old Testament time from Genesis to Malachi that was more under the law. Does that make sense tonight? The same God made the law is the same God that extends grace to us tonight. And that's why Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works. That's the law, lest any man should boast. Yet God used both, and he used the law. In fact, I was thinking as I was studying today, and I thought... You know, even with law, we always look at the law like it's such a disgusting thing. 
I mean, Christians today, the law, the law, the law. We forget God made the law. He designed, it wasn't Moses just sitting around bored in the desert and picked him up a big old tablet and found him some sharp to write on and started scribbling, well, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt. These were given by God. They're his holy laws. They may not make a lot of sense to us in some ways, and I thank God we're not saved by keeping all that stuff tonight. But they were still given by God. And by the way, even though we're in what a lot of people refer to as a covenant or an age of grace today, grace has always been, but we have a special amount of grace that's been dispensed, that's dispensation, has been dispensed. There's still laws, do you know, in the New Testament church age? There's a lot of laws. There's a lot of things God says, don't do this and don't do that. I mean, God says, flee fornication. That's a law. That's a law. He tells it to young people, to all people, but he said, flee fornication. There's things like that that he, he gives out, and he says, do this and do that and don't do this. And people nowadays say, well, legalist, legalist, legalist. Legal means law. There's still, even though we're under grace, God never said because we're under grace, anything and everything goes. We can do whatever we want to do. And we got a license to just live any old way we want to live. Listen, I thank God for the grace of God. I thank God for his unmerited favor. But there's still a right. There's still a wrong. There's still a moral. There's still an immoral. There's still a godly. There's still an ungodly. There's still, even in grace, a holy and an unholy. There are still things that bring honor to him. There are still things that dishonor him. There are things that, that's why he said, in the church should be done in order and should be done rightly and correctly. And so there's a structure and things that's there. And we're not saved by those laws, but he still established these things in the New Testament. So the point I'm simply making with that is don't think just because, yes, there's a law and now there's grace that now we can rip out all the Old Testament. None of it applies anymore. And none of the New Testament that has any kind of rules or regulations or laws applies anymore. And we're just going to have our Bible about maybe just about 20 pages. Because everything else we don't agree with. God has been dealing with people directly since Adam. And he deals with people differently through his foreknowledge. And that's basically what the dispensations and ages are. That brings us to the covenants. The covenants of God follow, like I said, a pattern with the dispensations. And the dispensations, remember, is just a word, it's a New Testament word that has to do with rightly dividing different times throughout history that are different than other times before or since. I'm going to have to wrap some of this up. But because uh, this is just an introduction, I don't even think I got all the introduction out tonight. But I've had people get upset with me because I teach that people were saved, our concept of salvation anyway, in the Old Testament, different than in the New Testament. Now, you know how I come to that conclusion? Because I can read. And because there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And because there's law and there's grace. And I had somebody call me at one time. I, I wrote a book that part of the book talks about one little section in there. It said something about it. And this guy called me up, and he was just furious. And he said, I got a hold of your book. And he said, y you're a heretic. And I said, really? Well, I've been called worse. And uh, I said, well, why do you think I'm a heretic? And he said, well, you, you said in here that there's a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament. People are saved the same way. I've always been saved the same way. I said, how were they saved in the Old Testament? He said, by faith 
and uh, by grace. And I said, what happened to works? I said, didn't they have to work? I said, why do we have a book in our New Testament called Galatians that's trying to explain to us that we're not saved by works because people have known that they were trying to work, trying to be righteous in, in the sight of God from the very beginning. And I said, why is that there? And, and I said, so how was Adam saved? Was Adam saved? How was Adam saved? And he said, well, by grace. I said, okay, I'll give you a little credit for that. Grace has been extended since the beginning. In fact, the, when Adam sinned, the curse came upon Adam and Eve. Was, death was the big one. But God could have killed them right then and there. And His grace allowed Adam and Eve to live, to produce children. And we're here tonight as a result of the grace of God to Adam. God still kept His word. Adam still died. But instead of him killing them on the spot, his grace was extended. He kicked them out of the garden. But he said, from now on, in order for you to, to, to live, you're going to have to eat. You're going to have to work and till the ground. You're going to have to work from, and, and sweat and all of that. And you're going to die. It was a curse. Adam didn't have Ten Commandments. Adam didn't have 613 Old Testament laws. Adam had one commandment. One. You know how Adam would have stayed Saved, if he would obey one commandment. Thou shalt not eat of this tree of the garden. That was it. We're not saved tonight by eating or not eating of any tree. If you think we're saved tonight by eating of a tree, then you've got a different Bible than I've got. We're not saved that way. He was. And he lost that hope because he disobeyed one commandment. Well, guess what? Nowadays, I don't have to worry about keeping any commandment. I'm saved by believing in Jesus Christ alone to save me. Here's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Amen? Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How in the world did Adam get there? How did, did Abraham confess that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior and accepted his finished work on the cross? And his, Here's the gospel. The gospel isn't, eat of one tree or don't eat of one tree the gospel is the death the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and yes they had faith and yes they some will say they look forward to the cross but that's why we have the gospel because Jesus paved the way for our salvation the point I'm simply making tonight is Adam God dealt with him differently than he dealt with the children of Israel under Moses in fact from Adam to Moses they didn't have ten commandments but now they got ten. And now we're not saved by keeping ten commandments. We're saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His shed blood alone to save us. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to give you tonight. I can kind of sense that some of y'all are scratching your head and thinking, where is he going with this? I promise you, this is going to be an interesting study because we're going to see that God makes covenants at different times with different people. And in fact, we have a covenant as Christians tonight in that New Testament. I heard a preacher call it one time. He said, our marriage to Jesus Christ, our marriage license, our marriage contract is the New Testament. Jesus said, this is the New Testament in my blood, the remission of sins. We've got a marriage contract in Jesus Christ 
And so with these covenants, you're going to see some of them are conditional. Some of them are unconditional. By that I mean some of them, God says, I'm going to make you a promise. And there ain't nothing going to change that promise. You know our salvation tonight is an unconditional promise of God. You're not saved because you're good and lost because you're bad and, and saved if you keep the commandments and lost because you disobey the commandments. You're saved. It's a, when you're saved, that's an unconditional covenant. That's a contract. That's a promise that God has made between you and him, and it's a done deal. You can dishonor God, but you can't lose that covenant. It's unconditional. But there's other covenants that were conditional. And you're going to learn as you study the Bible that there's a lot of things that are conditional with God. One of the scriptures we often use uh, around you know, Memorial Day or the 4th of July, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use it, but uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with it spiritually speaking, but we'll use it. And I preach on it myself. The passage that says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek their, uh, my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And uh, we, that ought to be a prayer for America. But it wasn't written to America, but it should be a prayer for America. But think about what he says. I mean, this is an example of how these covenants are going to work. He says, if, the, look at the if statements of God. Look at the when statements or the then statements that go along with the if. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... Well, it's a big then. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, we all want God to bless America, don't we? And God wants to, but the condition is this. You do A, B, C, and D, I'll do A, B, C, and D. But if you don't do A, B, C, and D, I'm not going to do A, B, C, and D. Does that make sense? It's a condition. And we're going to see one of the simplest forms of that, and I'll shut up is uh, Noah. Noah gets off the ark. We're going to look at the Noahic covenant. And God, some of these, God gives a symbol or a sign with this covenant. And he gives a rainbow in the clouds, in the sky. And he says, Noah, I'm making a covenant. And this covenant is that I'll never again flood the earth in the way I flooded it this time. There'll never again be a deluge like up in this time. I'll never flood it at all. Now, that doesn't mean God's not going to uh, wipe out his creation at some point the bible says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and the former heaven and the first earth are going to pass away but he said i'm not going to do it by flood anymore and he said i'll give you a sign and a symbol of this promise that's what that covenant is between me and you and civilization here's a rainbow i'm gonna put in the sky there was no rainbow in the sky then before noah's day so when noah saw that rainbow in the sky he didn't see gay rights Amen? He saw God's covenant. I'm making a promise, and I'm going to keep my promises. The Bible says the promises of God are yea and amen in him. When God says something, he's going to do it. He keeps his word. And so he makes these covenants and these promises, uh, and we're going to look at each of them and how they affect us and, uh, and the hope that we have beyond this world there. God's not done yet. He's still going to do a great work in this world, and I believe it's getting close to when he's getting ready to work. And he's already begun it right now. All right, before we close our service out, does anybody have any special prayer request? Anything you want to mention in prayer before we close out our service?